We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. So what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your belief. So what's a patriot like you to do? Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call 1-800-A-PATRIOT or go to patriotmobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. One week to go. And we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Well, let's dive into the latest data that is out there. Even though I haven't seen anything that would change the Electoral College uh, ratings that we talked about on the show last night. And in case you missed those numbers, I have 231 Electoral College votes right now that are safely in the hands of the Democrats. Another 51 that are leaning their way for 282 I have 89 Electoral College votes that are safe Republican, another 100 leaning that way for 189, and I have 67 toss-up states. I haven't seen any data today at all that would cause me to change those ratings, but you never know. Tomorrow we might have some data that might cause me to change some things up. Nevertheless, there is some fascinating data out there, and I really don't care who wins. I I really don't. But I find this whole thing fascinating. It's a little bit like a Super Bowl when either the Lions or my original favorite team when I was a little kid, the Raiders, aren't in it. Which essentially means for the last 20 years, virtually every Super Bowl but one. I'm watching. I'm into it. I care. I don't miss a minute. But it's, it's... It's also a fascinating exercise for me intellectually more than emotionally. 
So some of the things that I am looking at. By this time next week, whoever's running the LA Times tracking poll is the new Nate Silver. Or they are the new Rasmussen or Zogby. And there is no in-between. Aaron, you're nodding your head yes. No, oh, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, that's that's the name of the game. Yes, polling is not an exact science. But if you get it wrong and you get it wrong bad, you are a laughingstock. So either this is this will be the new Zogby slash Rasmussen, you know, that only low-information voters cite to tell them what they want to hear poll, but nobody with a brain who critically thinks takes it seriously. Um, or this will be, he'll be, whoever's running this thing is the new Nate Silver. What do I mean by this? If you look at the last 15 national polls that are recorded at Real Clear Politics, Hillary's lead, if you take out the LA Times tracking poll, Hillary's lead in those 15 surveys is 6.3 points. If you include the LA Times tracking poll, her lead shrinks to 3.8 almost in half. Almost in half. It's even more stark if you look at the last five national polls where Hillary's lead is all between one and four points. But the LA Times tracking poll has Trump up by four. That's why Hillary has her lead is down to 2.2 points in the RCP average. It's all due to the, it, well, not all. It, the bulk of it is due to the LA Times tracking poll. And, and the beauty of this is, on an intellectual basis, we have no idea if this thing is, is crackpot or not. They might be the new Nate Silver. Remember, everybody, nobody wanted to give Nate Silver credit for calling every state in 2008 correctly because it was a blowout. Although I give a guy credit for calling Obama winning North Carolina in Indiana. You know, those aren't states that up until Obama, Democrats won. All right. So I give him credit for that. But everybody wanted to say, oh, it was a joke. Who is this kid anyway? He was working for the New York Times at the time. How hard is it to be the New York Times election forecaster for, for the liberal media in a year when Obama wins big? Right. OK, cool. Then he darn near did it again in 2012. He missed one state, Florida. That was the only state he's missed in the last two presidential elections. And he was adamant about where his, his, where his data was at, even when the polls showed this thing was razor close. And I remember a lot of stories in blogs the night before the 2012 election. Nate Silver's 15 minutes are just about up. Instead, he nailed it again, and he, broke, he, he got big enough, he broke away from the New York Times and has his own enterprise now. He's his own man. He's got his own cottage industry now. So the L.A. Times, whatever this methodology is that they are utilizing that has been publishing this outlier data this whole cycle, they're either going to be the new Nate Silvers or we're going to be laughing at these people and never take them seriously ever again. Now, you have to be careful, though, whether it's the L.A. Times or any poll, you have to be careful about taking individual polls and blowing them up. I'll give you an example. Survey USA did a poll of North Carolina today, and Survey USA is a very highly rated pollster at 538. They did a poll of North Carolina today with WRAL in Carolina that found Donald Trump up by seven in the top line. That would be by far the biggest lead he's had in North Carolina. But when you look inside the poll, it finds that to get him to a seven-point lead, they are saying that 23% of the Democrats in North Carolina are going to vote for Donald Trump. Now, to put that in perspective, when Mitt Romney won the state in 2012, he got 9% of the Democrat vote. 
So that would be a huge expansion of the base by Trump. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to pull it off. This, I'm not giving a judgment. I'm just pointing out how did they get there? What are they? What, how did they? How's the math work for them to draw that conclusion? What they're saying is Hillary Clinton's only going to get 75 percent of the Democratic vote in North Carolina. That's what they're saying. Could it happen? Well, it's like what you like to say, Todd. The status quo is the status quo till it's not anymore. I certainly wouldn't predict it to happen, but this is also a highly rated pollster. So maybe they know something we don't know. That's why you want to follow the trend. The trend is your friend. All right. The, remember this when you're when people are throwing these numbers out and keep in mind that we are in the this is like the last week before the NFL draft. Now, don't believe anything anybody says except hard data. Everybody's spin is a spin. Everybody's now. I, and I think that's even true of me. I don't want it to be, but it probably is. So just keep that in mind. That's why I'm throwing as many numbers at you as I can, as opposed to my own thoughts, because I'm trying to put a check on my own self. All right. All right, because we're in the, this is the end now, and everybody's throwing everything but the kitchen sink at everybody. But be careful about taking individual polls. Here's why the trend is your friend. 2008, huge Obama year. The last Zogby poll of 2008 had Obama and McCain tied effectively within the margin for error. That was a rout. Same year, Fox News poll published October 30th. Less than a week before the 2008 election, had it as a tie within the margin for error. Now, if I didn't look at anything else, but I only looked at those two as individual polls, I'd have a totally different read on this than everybody else. And would that read be correct? No. How about 2012? Gallup, the granddaddy of polling, they invented the science. Gallup's final poll of 2012. Had Romney winning by one point, he lost the election by 3.9. So again, be careful drawing massive conclusions about one individual poll on either side. I know this is the last week now, and so pretty much whatever poll tells me what I want to hear is right, and whatever one doesn't is rigged, and that's true on every side. I get that. We just don't roll that way here on this show. So I, I'm presuming if you're listening to us tonight or later on demand, it's because no, ma- no matter how partisan you may be, you still want to get some objective forecasting. And we're trying to do that for you here on the show. Polling is an inexact science. That's why you want to compile as much data and information as you can. There is not one poll that is a superior oracle to all the others. That's why they have margins for error. You know what science doesn't have a margin for error? Physics. There's no margin for error. With Well, gravity, gravity works on planet Earth. Wouldn't a 3.5% margin for error? No. No, there's not like, like if you're in Ecuador, you're like three feet higher above, the, above ground than if you are, if you live in uh, the Rocky Mountains, and that's how we account for a, no, 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 no. Gravity is a consistent law of force applied everywhere on this planet accordingly. See what I'm trying to say? There are sciences, and then there are inexact sciences. Polling is an inexact science. Yes, we talked about last night how accurate it has been. But notice that we used as the baseline for that, we used the real clear politics polling average. Why did we use that? Because the more data, the better. Now, there is some hard data already in on this election. Early voting numbers 
comparing 2012 to 2016. We're going to go over those numbers when we come back. Listening to Steve Dace. He didn't promise you'd like him, he just promised to tell you the truth. This is Steve Dace. By the way, election forecasts as of on the air tonight from several sources, right, left, and middle. Nate Silver's 538 has Hillary with 72% odds to win. The upshot forecast, which is what the New York Times created after Nate Silver went out on his own, has Hillary Clinton at 88% to win. Huffington Post this year is attempting to do something, is to do their own Nate Silver. And don't poo-poo Huffington Post. Yes, they're liberal, but they're also the number one political news site in the country for traffic. That being said, who knows if they know what they're doing. They've got Hillary at 98% to win. This never Trumper, that might be enough to get me to change my mind just to see how they would react over there to being 98% wrong. <laughs> well, they already are 98% wrong. On, yes, but on I mean, but I mean, on, of the uh, other yeah, stuff. not on opinions, but now, right. but on stats. Yeah. The bubble never dies. This is like that New York socialite who, when Richard Nixon just creamed uh, McGovern. I didn't know anybody exactly. that voted for Nixon, yes. 98%. Now, come on now, come on. 98%. Uh, Larry Sabato, Sabato, the rule on the show is we always pronounce his na- last name both ways, so we have it covered either way. Well, it's Tuesday, so it's Sabato. Is it so, Sabato? Yeah. It's Sabato Tuesdays yep. here on the Steve Day Show. Sabato on Wednesdays. Uh, Domo Irigato, Mr. Sabato, uh, ha- who's, who's more of, considered more of a Republican forecaster. His crystal ball has, he rakes the, he rates the presidency likely Democrat. Uh, Charlie Cook, who is considered a, a, a pro-Republican, but uh, maybe more of a centrist forecaster, has the presidency leans Democrat. Predict wise, which is the betting market, uh, has Hillary at 84% odds to win. So here are some, here's some hard numbers. These are early voting numbers. I want to give credit where credit is due. These were compiled by Mark Murray, who is the, the chief political editor at NBC News. And, and what's convenient about this is this is a comparison to where it was with one week to go in the early voting in 2012 as well. Arizona was 43 to 33 in favor of Republicans in 2012. It's 40 to 35 in favor of Republicans in 2016. And what we mean by this, these ballots have not been counted. This is in terms of the party registration under which they were returned. All right. Colorado, Romney won the early voting in Colorado, 39 to 36, or was winning it at this time in in, in 2012, 39 to 36. Uh, Right now, it's 38 to 35 Democrat. Keep in mind, Romney won the early voting in Colorado in 2012 and still lost. Florida, one week to go in Florida in 2012, it was 42 to 42. Right now, it's 40 to 40. Georgia, one week to go in 2012, it was 44 to 42 Republican. Right now, it's 53 to 42 Republican. Iowa, four years ago at this time, it was 45 to 33 Democrat. Right now, it's 44 to 34 Democrat. Michigan, Republicans won the early voting in Michigan, 44 to 31. Democrats are winning it right now, 39 to 36. North Carolina. Democrats won the early voting in North Carolina 50 to 31. 
in 2012. Democrats are leading it in 2016, 44 to 31. Nevada. Democrats led it in 2012, 45 to 37. Republicans are leading it 43 to 37, but the turnout is larger. In fact, I saw today that it is estimated that maybe as many as half of Nevada's vote will be via early voting this year. Ohio, in 2012, it was 52 to 38 Democrat. Right now, it's 48 to 40 in favor of the Democrats. Pennsylvania, which does not have early voting, but this is by absentee balloting only. So absentee balloting, just as early voting tends to favor Republicans, absentee balloting tends to favor, I'm sorry, just as early voting tends to favor Democrats, absentee voting tends to favor Republicans. Absentee voting in, in Pennsylvania, it was 56 to 36 Republican in 2012. It's only 48 to 43 now in 2016. In Virginia, Republicans led the early voting at this time four years, four years ago, 43 to 40. Listen to this. Democrats leading the early voting in Virginia, 51 to 38. That's a huge swing. And Wisconsin, Democrats were leading the early voting at this time in 2012, 46 to 39. They are leading it now in 2016, 51 to 37. So your guys' thoughts or questions, comments, or insults on those numbers compiled by Mark Murray at NBC News. Uh, to me, Michigan, um, in, in terms of swings that go the Republicans' way, uh, Michigan seems like that's a fairly large swing. Was, was that uh, surprising at all to you? A little bit. You know, you have a favorite son there with Romney, of course. His dad was the governor, mm-hmm. which would explain um, uh, that as well. We also don't know if there's been changes in their early voting laws the last few years. Okay? So, for example, in 2012, was Michigan primarily an absentee balloting state, which would favor Republicans? And this year, it's more of a true early voting state. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm, right. So I don't know what the nuance is here in terms of which laws. I believe 19 states had early voting in 2012. I think 37 do now. Right? So I, I don't know off the top of my head what all the nuances are Understood. in all the various states. Yeah. My initial gut reaction is maybe the Huffington Post is right. 98% after that reading doesn't sound so bad. I just, I just don't see any... Angle and you, we've done. This. By the way, how the five thirty eight in the Huffington Post. I looked at their methodologies today because I'm a nerd, so I was fascinated by ninety eight percent. The way that the Huffington Post does it is they essentially take the real clear their version of the real clear politics polling average, and what I mean by their version, there's some polls they don't recognize, like they don't recognize the L.A. Times poll, for example. Okay, but but they they basically take the the data averages out there and then simulate. Based on the get out the vote models that are that are um, that are anticipated in the in the internals of the polling, they just simulate the outcomes of the election like three like five hundred thousand times or three hundred thousand times, and ninety eight percent of the time when they ran the numbers, Hillary Clinton won. Now the way Nate Silver does his is he he I guess so he, I guess maybe Huffington Post is more of a simulation than a forecast. Uh, his is more of a forecast. And he's game planning out what those things actually mean based off of maybe more statistical analysis than just running a pure algorithm. Now, before this early voting happened, based on what we know about Trump cult, general energy uh, of the electorate, did you? what was your gut reaction on what this early voting would say compared to what it has said? Um, 
none of these percentages surprise me. Uh, when I well, the one uh, area that um, I mean, I was originally surprised at Michigan, like Aaron was. Okay, but again, I don't know if, if it's changed from an absentee to early voting. The one that I circled was North Carolina, um, because you'll notice that it was fifty to thirty-one to forty-four to thirty-one, which means we haven't really seen you didn't see an uptick there in Republican response. That you have seen a decline in Democratic enthusiasm. Okay, so um, that was one that was that was one thing that stood out to me. The other thing that stood out to me too, and and it's probably because this whole election from the day it started, you've heard me say what. Without Colorado, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, he has to run the table. And if you look at all three of these states, whether it's absentee balloting in Pennsylvania or the early voting in Colorado and Virginia, he is underperforming where where Romney was at this time four years ago, and he still lost all those states. So literally, if Trump doesn't win any of those three states, he has to run the whole table from there to win. You're listening to Steve Dace. truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god the steve day show so are you one of those people getting ready to waste your vote or maybe you're not that is the topic of a column written by George Yancey, who is a senior contributor over at The Stream, who says, not a wasted vote. Why voting third party this year could help change America's future. We want to welcome George to the show tonight. How are you, George? Pretty good. How are you doing, Steve? It is a pleasure to have uh, you on the show with us. Now, if you don't mind, I, I, just so we're clear, I actually share your position. But I would be curious to ask you some antagonistic questions to, to get your response, because I want to see somebody else who have to respond to these questions on this show for once. Do you mind? They're free. I, I teach classes, and I get antagonistic responses all the time. Good. Then you're ready to go. All right. So yes. first and foremost, why do you want to throw away your vote like this? Well, you know, I don't want to throw away my vote. I want my vote to really mean something. And if I can't, if the candidate I feel like uh, people want to vote for I feel it's going to do a horrible job and actually make things worse, then why do I want to vote for that person? I'd rather vote for someone that I believe would make the country better. Uh, I also believe that my vote will signal to people that this candidate is just not good enough, and whoever loses is going to have to try to figure out how to get my vote back. So I feel that this year, especially with two such wretched candidates, if you're going to vote Republican or Democrat, then they know they got you. You know, you're going to vote Republican with Trump at the ticket. Then why, why should they ever care about trying to win your vote back again? They got you. They're going to have to come come get me again if they ever want my vote again. But what about the judges, George? What about the judges? Yes. Uh, okay. Let's just let's just pretend for a second that uh, that we have good that there's a good reason that, that Trump would have a judge that we would like. And my big issue is religious freedom. Let's, let's just pretend he might have a judge that promotes religious freedom. He might do that. And then we're voting for a might. What if he doesn't do that? Now you have both political parties, and none of them will stand for religious freedom. Whereas, you know, if Hillary wins, at least the Republicans are going to be there to fight for religious freedom. 
But Trump appoints his sister as a judge. Also, neither party fronts for religious freedom. And if you're conservative, then neither party's trying to preserve the value. So you actually can lose a lot more than you can gain with Trump vote. Why don't you just vote the platform if you don't like the candidates, George? Because character matters. You know, I thought character matters with, with Bill Clinton. And if I'm going to be consistent, character matters with Donald Trump. Has You know, I can't trust anything he says. He, he's proven that he's dishonest. And, and he's, I'm voting for him for president. So, no, I'm not going to vote for him for president. So if you want the platform, vote down ticket. Uh, but Trump is, you know, you can't trust him. And you don't know what he's going to do what he's going to say he's going to do. But she's evil and the country can't afford four more years of this. Well, you know, I don't like her either. So let me be very clear. I'm jumping on Trump, but I, I have my reasons why I'm not going to vote for Clinton either. But I, you know, I, it's sort of like you, the opponent you know you can always fight against. The worst opponent is someone who's supposed to be with you and actually fights against you. If you vote for Trump, I feel a lot of conservatives are going to find out that that's their, going to be their opponent. I rather, and we, and you forget that if, if if Republicans keep the Senate, then she can't do whatever she wants. They can fight against her. But if Trump is the president and he does crazy stuff, then all of a sudden you got the Republican Party doing crazy stuff with him. But that's worse. Why don't you care about the future of the country, George? That's why I'm not voting for Trump. <laughs> and I also care about, you know, I'm a Christian. I also care about my Christian witness. And how can we as Christians go and talk about, you know, caring for women who've been abused or the immigrants or handicapped after supporting someone who, or minorities, after supporting someone who, who insulted them? Uh, I care about, I care long term. And Trump is a short term fit for a long term problem. Long term, let's change the culture. We don't change the culture by looking our names to Trump. But Trump's like key figures in the Bible that God used, like Nebuchadnezzar and Rahab and Cyrus and and all those cool people that I probably don't know anything about. But I just saw that Robert Jeffress said this once on television, so I'm going with that. Yeah, I've heard the I'm not voting for a pastor line, too. And, you know, I've never voted. Now, in fairness, the reason I'm not using that line on you, George, is because I don't know if you've noticed the sorry state of America's pastorate. But it seems like we are voting for a pastor in this election, if you know what I'm saying, brother. (laughs) All right. Yeah, okay. All right, well, I'll, I'll just go with, you know, does God use wicked bad people? Yes. But I don't remember any passage where God told us to vote in wicked bad people. So, you know, God can use, I mean, God can use me, and I'm, you know, at times I've been wicked. I'm not I'm not perfect. But, you know, God doesn't want me to do wicked stuff. He can use me to find my wicked stuff. I don't think God wants us to place. And, you know, I can't, now, I'm going to be a little hard on calling him wicked. I just, I just don't have any trust in his character. What is the argument? Can, Go ahead, finish your point. Yeah, I, I just don't. I just don't see the, the value of putting in someone that I think is incompetent and would be a bad president, and saying God can use that person anyway. All right. Now that we've gone through the arguments for the fact that th- voting third party is a waste of your vote, when we come back, I want to give you the, uh, the have you give us the arguments why that's not the case, why it's not a wasted vote at all, which you have articulated. Uh, here in this piece that you've written for the stream called Not a Wasted Vote, Why Voting Third Party This Year Could Help Change America's Future. Actually, in about 20 seconds, George, what's the argument against voting third party that you struggle with the most? You know, this year I really don't. I In the past, I have spot into wasting the vote that I want to 
uh, vote for one of two people who's going to be president of the United States. Okay. And I felt like, you know, that made my vote matter. But the truth that both candidates are so bad that I feel that, you know, I, I don't want to be part of that. All right, stay right there. More with uh, George Yancey from the stream here in just a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Politics is a contact sport. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here with George Yancey from The Stream, who's written a piece about voting third party, whether it's a wasted vote or not. Now, George, you've never voted third party before, correct? Uh, Not for the president, no. So this is essentially, this was a bridge too far for you, this election. Yeah, it it really, really was. I'm a political independent. Uh, but I was probably going to vote Republican this year, but because of religious freedom issues. But uh, I, there's no way I can I can put a vote for that man. All right. Well, tell us why you don't believe you are wasting your vote this year. That what 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 good would voting for a candidate who's not likely to win do? Well, what's going to happen is that political analysts are going to look at the final vote, and when they see that neither neither candidate has a a relatively high percentage of vote. You know, let's say the winner has 43 or 44 percent. That's going to be a signal that there's a lot of people out there who do not like either one of these candidates. And whoever loses is going to have a strong incentive to try to come and get those people. Uh, also, the party that I'm supporting, I'm personally supporting the American Solidarity Party. I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but they have, they have an agenda that I like. I would like to see them become more prominent. I would like for one of the parties to steal some of their agenda. And, you know, if they do that, then the issues that I care about, I'll have a, a major party actually uh, contributing to that. And that has happened in the past. In my article, I cited several pieces of letter, uh, legislation, and I really got that from Matt Masworth, that was once with a third party, and now a major party took it, and it became law. So we can have an effect long term if we don't go with the party line. You know, for those of us who are totally disgusted with the candidates we have, if we keep supporting them, that's what we're going to get from now on. And I just, I just can't go along with that. I'm going to. I hope you're not offended, but I want to profile you a little bit, to George, because you said you're a Christian, but you're also black, which means you happen to belong to two voting groups that uh, on each side of the aisle that have a tendency to be taken for granted and taken for a ride by both major mm-hmm. political parties and get nothing out of it. It's been it's funny to watch Tavis Smiley say things on BET about being black and a Democrat that I feel about being white and an evangelical in the Republican Party. It's almost just this. It's verbatim. Same stuff I see on this show. It's just we change the terms and the names. But the sentiment is the same. Do you think going forward we are better off as believers as a swing vote rather than belonging predominantly to one party over the other, or are we better off working within one of the two parties or forming a third party? And how has and how does your your answer to that question factor into what you're going to do on election day? You know, that's a really good question, and it's, it's a really deep question because a lot of my work, my research has been on anti-Christian bias and Christianophobia, and because of that work, I feel that Christians, we as we as a body, have to build our own community, and I do think politics plays a role in this. Uh, I think we, we, we become too active in politics and, and rely on it too much. 
Well, we can't ignore it because, you know, if we ignore it, then we'll be taken advantage of. How that, how that actually works, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure what is the best route. I can see the case for working within a party if it, you know, not this year, but in, in the future years. I can also see the case, and this is where the American Solidarity Party may come in, to develop a Christian party that begins to compete for votes as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a strong inkling one way or the other at this point. But, yes, if you're taking it for granted, then as an African-American, the Democrats will come visit you every four years. And I do think that, that Christians probably experience the same thing from the Republicans. And so I do think that we have to get out of that rut and not be taking it for granted any longer. You've had over 200 comments. What kind of feedback have you received to this story today? Uh, you know, uh, I haven't really read my comments. I've learned sometimes to read them and sometimes not to. Uh, but, you know, I've had some of my Facebook friends give me feedback, and some of them disagree, and, and, and that's fine. You know, after November 9th, we'll be working together on other projects. But I, you know, I just have I've, I've felt strongly about this from the very beginning. Uh, I just don't see the value of voting for someone with all the negative qualities, and you know, I'm sure you've gone into it. I don't need to go all into the negative qualities of Trump, just for maybe he'll appoint a justice that we like. I, I think that, you know, it's like selling, almost selling our soul for a cup of porridge. It feels like that. And I just won't participate in that. Are you sure you guys are going to be working together again on November the 9th? Because there, I, I have some doubts how many folks are going to be working together again on November the 9th when this is all over. Uh, you know, I, I hope so, because I think that, you know, as Christians, we have to sit together and work together, even if we have disagreements. But, you know, uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and, and they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, and then after November the 9th, we're going to have to, because there's some real challenges we have coming up as, as a body of Christ, uh, especially in the post-Christian society. And we've got to learn how to stick together and to work together if we're going to, you know, thrive in that sort of society. And so I, I hope it, I hope so. Uh, there may be some need for mending, but uh, we've got to work together. George Chancy is a senior contributor over at the stream. You can read his uh, his piece at stream.org. That's stream.org on why it's not wasting your vote, in his opinion, to vote third party. George, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, and God bless. Same to you. So, gentlemen, what do you think? Do you think he made a compelling case, or is it... In your view, there really aren't a lot of compelling cases in this election because of the circumstances. Every case has a flaw to it. What do you think? What what drew me to this article is that uh, oftentimes throughout this entire race, we've said, well, there's another option. Yes, there is another option, but we never hear why it's actually a a good thing to to go for those other options. And I think some of the cases that he made that, um, yes, if we are swing vote and we're actually uh, intentional about who we vote for and take the long view, then, yes, there are some very good things that can come out of that as opposed to just working on party lines. This is nothing new. But I'm glad he's talking about the good reasons instead of just saying, well, there's another option. You know, so. And he's right about what the church should be in terms of the people set apart. But right now, the church is basically uh, that uh, Monty Python knight who has his legs and his arms cut off, but he's still talking a big game and he's threatening the, the knight who did it to him. Well, now I'm going to bleed on you. I mean, we, we are so broken. Even if we do set our... In theory, that's fine, but we are not one. We are not holy. We are not Catholic. We are not apostolic. We are none of the things we need to be as a body of Christ to 
to be that people set apart. We are a laughing stock internally and therefore externally. We are laughed at. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. He has not yet begun to offend. This is Steve Dace. By the way, updates on a couple things we talked about earlier. Michigan is absentee voting. Not early voting. Looked that up during the break. Also, I looked up during the break. Uh, SurveyMonkey is is an online-only polling firm, and they've got some new polls out on all the uh, contested Senate races. Before you jump to any conclusions, though, they're rated a C-minus pollster at 538, which is, if you look at the way 538 grades polling, uh, grades polling firm, C-minus is... I mean, there's, it's a fail. It's there's, a fail. there's polls out there uh, that you see rated on 538 that you would think would be really good, and they're like, uh, you know, they're, they're Bs or A minuses. So it's, it's kind of... Um, and by the way, they're tough with their grades. Yeah. Okay, that's why C minus is a bad, yeah. is not good. Um, but, you know, that's where you have to be careful. You're going to limit your, your... Any demographic that is web only is going to skew younger. Just, hey, look, Bill Murray's at the World Series. Who knew, right? Just as, um, you know, Emerson College polling that is landline only, that's going to therefore skew older. So uh, just something to keep in mind. Uh, Also, I went back and looked at, uh, because I'm curious to see how the Huffington Post is doing. I I like to know what the other side thinks. So I'm not just being, because everybody's lying right now. So I just, you know... If, I'd rather give both sides lies <laughs> and figure the truth is somewhere out there, Fox Mulder. I looked at the polls they include, and it looks like from what I've seen, because the, the, the head-to-head average at RCP is two and a half points, but it's six points at Huffington Post. But I looked at the 43 polls that they put in their polling average, and it looks like everything that's in the, uh, that's in the RCP poll except two. They don't do Rasmussen, and they don't include L.A. Times. They do include Fox. So Fox News polling is included in the Huffington Post polling average, but they don't include L.A. Times, and they don't include Rasmussen. So that's something to take a look at the next week is you want to just save yourself a bunch of time, and I'm kind of speaking to myself here, by the way. Just just Because what, what was I having, having you do, Todd, help me with before the show started? Adding up these numbers manually. Well, now that I see what the Huffington Post is doing, I'm just going to. Well, that's what that's what the polling average would be if you didn't include Rasmussen and, and L.A. Times. That would be the difference. Forgive my memory if it's wrong, but isn't the Fox poll been one of the least chilly things about Fox's coverage? You know, the trend. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think we've talked about that. It but wasn't I've noticed horrid that too. along yeah. the line, was it? No, not really. No. Yeah. And in, in fact, you know, I, I I think right now Fox's election ratings. On their electoral college map, I think they have Hillary Clinton at, at, at almost the exact same electoral college count that I have as of today, which is around 280, I think is where they have her right now, um, not counting toss-ups. So 
Yes, that would be among the less, the least uh, shilly things uh, that they have there at Fox. We'll come back with hour two in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 here of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Coming up later in this hour, the return of a new segment we debuted last week by Seller Hole. Looking forward to that. Also, I really don't want to add to people's paranoia, but we have a story up today at Conservative Review that I, I think is worthy of some attention. So Rob Eno will join us about that coming up here. In about 15 minutes. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And you know, chances are your current current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values. That's why Patriot Mobile was created, to give conservatives like us a chance to put our money where our values are and support a company that we know will reinvest our valuable resources right back into our values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and texting and high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. That means you'll get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, and in support of the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com. Again, you can go to PatriotMobile.com or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to switch, use the promo code Steve to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. I want to spend a few minutes here, if I could, and just sharing with you some personal thoughts I have on this election. Because several of you have asked me. I really don't care who wins the presidential election. I really don't. I I really don't. You guys are here with me all the time, on and off the air. Do you get the sense that I really care who wins? No. We're throwing out we don't care party. Yeah, I don't I don't care. Here here's why I don't care. Because to me, I've got I've got problems depending on who wins. It's just a different set of problems. If Hillary Clinton wins, I know she's going to use the coercive arm of government to shut people like me down. People are trying to take a, a biblical worldview into the public square. She, she's going to try and stop that. She's going to try to increasingly marginalize the influence of the church and the culture. I don't think there's any question about that. So, so that, that presents one form of an existential problem for me. What happens if Donald Trump wins? If Donald Trump wins, there's a different existential problem for me. We've already seen this tendency of many people to redefine Christianity, redefine conservatism in order to fit him. 
Well, even people that I count as friends of mine who, who disagree with me on this, like David Limbaugh, have said. David has said more than one occasion. He has literally no idea what Trump will do if he's president. So it could turn out that he might be great. But what if he's not? And we already and, and we see now someone with the um, look at the way people have altered themselves for the candidate Trump. What would they do to support the president Trump? Which presents to me now a different set of existential problems. Yeah, I don't think he sticks the government on us. By the way, I don't think he leads some great revival of the First Amendment either. But for the next four years, it's like a stay of an execution is what I think. Oh, we will, we'll still see those sweet cakes by Melissa's and Kelvin Cochran's. Those will continue. But I, the Kim Davis's, those will continue. But I mean, on the macro federal level, we'll get a stay of execution on that issue. But there'll be a different existential issue for me, which is a lot of you that I'm arguing with right now, I'll have to continue arguing with for the next four years. Because you, the same people who are telling me now, vote Trump and we can hold him accountable and just get rid of Hillary, will be the same people telling me the next four years. Well, we have to support him, otherwise we'll lose in 20. We'll have the same conversation all over again. So when you hear me give analysis, I'm not really a hidden fan here. I don't have some kind of master plan like we're better off if Hillary wins. I've got some friends that are like that. To me, it's just a different set of problems. So I'm not I'm not trying to stack the deck with any information. I'm giving you the best information that I have. Some guy asked me today on Facebook why I don't cite drudge polls. I thought about being nasty to him, but I thought, you know, maybe he just doesn't know, so I'll be polite. A, a drudge doesn't do polling. Those are like opt-in, uh, you know, or his readers, it, it, you know, click on a, in, a favorite. That's not a scientific poll, okay? It would be like me taking a poll of our audience and then determining, based on what this audience thinks, so say we all. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So if I'm presenting you information and it's not telling you what you want it to say, that's not my fault. I'm just calling the play by play here. At best, I'm the at best I'm the I'm the I'm the football pundit on television you hate who has nothing to do with whether your team wins the game or not. You just hate him for telling you why he doesn't think that you will based on stats he had no no role in compiling at all. He, this guy has no role in, in why your team sucks at third down defense. He, you know, can't get off the field. He has nothing to do with that. But you hate him for telling you that your team sucks at third down defense more than you hate the coaches and players wearing your jersey who actually suck at third down defense. You're smiling, Todd. You think I'm on to something. Oh, and then some. Okay. So I, I really don't care. I don't have some hidden master plan. I've been invited to upteen meetings when this is when this election is over from conservatives all over the country that want to have powwows about how do we proceed from here and 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 that's from groups with varying thoughts whether they're never Trump, reluctant Trump, always Trump. A lot of good people recognize that we are in existential uh no man's land regardless of the results a week from tonight. All that's going to change is the path out of the wilderness depending on the outcome. 
So I, I really don't care. I mean, I really don't. I, I, I'm trying not to think about the fact that one of these people next week will be the next president, and next month, when this is over, we will be regaled for the next month with tales of, in Trump's case, child rape lawsuits and, and fraud lawsuits going with court dates, and in Hillary's case, not, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five separate FBI inquiries into a president-elect. As my teenage daughter likes to say, I can't even. I, I just, I can't even abide that. I'm just disgusted by the whole thing. So I have to pour myself into data in order to make myself care so that I can do a show worthy of listening to, because I really don't. I just want this over with. I'd like it to be November November 8th right now. Take Scratch that. I'd like it to be November 9th right now. I have a wholly separate... I've got a totally separate slate of problems that are just different problems depending on who wins. If Hillary wins, we'll be told we can't have... We're done on the immigration issue. We ran the most hardline immigration candidate. He ran weaker than Romney in Arizona, ran weaker than Romney in Texas, lost New Mexico. He lost every border state. You've lost the immigration issue. Look at Hillary at lower black turnout. She still kicked your butt. And it's because you ran some hardline immigration positions, so we got to be for amnesty now. I'll be fighting that. I'll have that argument on this show for 10,000 times if Hillary wins. And, and you notice the lack of excitement in my voice for how little I'm looking forward to it. If Trump wins, it will be, see, we don't need social issues. We need to talk about this stuff. Nobody cares. All we just need is more mammon, make the trains run on time. And it's all about winning, winning for winning's sake. Doesn't matter what we stand for. And I'll have, I'll have that conversation and argument 10,000 more times. So I, I, I'm going to do the time warp again, regardless of who wins. So it's just different problems for me. I really don't care. So there's nothing hidden here other than I'm having an increasingly harder time hiding my disgust for both of these people on an individual level. It's just visceral. Like, I can't handle it. Like, there's a twitch when I hear their names. The prospect of looking at either one of them for the next four years turns my stomach. On some level, I'm going to celebrate no matter what happens on Tuesday because it means I'm rid of at least one of them being able to force their way into my orbit for another four years. And then wake up the next morning with the realization I'm going to deal with the other one anyway for the next four years. So I don't have a hidden agenda here. I don't don't care who wins. If it seems like I'm giddy about the data, it's because I'm trying to find something I find interesting so that I can be passionate about what we're talking about on this show rather than slitting my wrists, cutting myself on the air over one of these two being president every single night. You're listening to Steve Dace. Putting the fun back in Fundamentalist, The Steve Day Show. All right, I am hesitant to have this conversation because right now America exists on a paranoia tilt. I may have to shut down the Twitterverse. 
because I try to follow people on the right and the left, and right now everything's a conspiracy everywhere. Somehow five different FBI field offices have managed to conspire against Hillary Clinton. Somehow we are relying on Trump winning via skeptical white voters, but yet the outcome is going to be rigged, and that's our get-out-the-vote effort. I, I just, I'm hesitant to go here, but... There is a story today at Conservative Review that I think is worthy of checking out. Rob Eno is here, and I know Rob is on the straight tip, as we used to say back in the day when we pretended to be all hip-hop. So, Rob, how are you, brother? I'm pretty good. Glad, glad to bring the conspiracy theories to the Steve D. Show. Please tell me, please, please tell me we are not... We are not going to cause anybody to go off the ledge, but you've got like an actual story our audience needs to know about. Right. You know, everybody talks about these touchscreen voting machines and how they, they're going to be hacked and George Soros is going to steal the election because George Soros' companies are going to hack all the machines and do the votes. I don't, I don't care about that. Can they be hacked? Maybe. Do they register wrong votes? We know that's true, but it's probably more that it's, you know, a, a calibration error. You've used your phone when your phone goes a little funky and you think you're pressing, you know, one button and the other button's pressed. That happens. So I think there's a, a large-scale conspiracy to make it happen across the country. No. But that's not the problem, Steve. The problem is that there's 15 states, 10 of which have these, they're called direct, direct recording electronic voting machines that have no paper trail. And 10 of them use them in some counties and some jurisdictions. There may be states that have them where the, the city's in charge of the voting, not just the county. And in five states, they're only used. My state, uh, in South Carolina, Georgia, there's New Jersey, but they only use these machines without a paper trail. And that's the problem, Steve. And it's not the fact that it's the machine. It's that there's no way to record the intent of the voter. You remember in 2000, and I was reminded that that was 16 years ago, believe it or not, when in Florida... Oh, when the people voted for went to vote for Al Gore and they voted for Pat Buchanan? No, not that. Okay. When, during the recount. All right. When, when they were talking about pregnant chads and... Hanging chads, and hanging chads yes. And Pregnant Chad's not a guy that got pregnant, which could probably happen today because it's a whole new world. But back then, it wasn't this guy Chad that got pregnant, and it wasn't a guy going around hanging himself. It was the, the little buttons in the push no, that's in right. the punch card, like you used to program computers with. Well, people used to vote on those. And if you didn't push it all the way in, I don't know if you've ever voted on one of those. I did like the first time I voted. And if you go to push it in, if you didn't push it all the way in, you might have gotten a, a dimple in the spot where you thought you were going to go. Well, that's the that's your intent. If there's no dimple on the spot for Al Gore and there was a dimple on the spot for George Bush, if the dimple was sufficient, they would say that's a vote for George Bush because it's the intent of the voter. It's a long-standing way that recounts are done. Conversely, if you have a paper ballot where you know you fill in a circle or you connect an arrow and you only fill in the circle half, and the electronic machine may or may not have counted it. But when you go to a recount, that vote would count for the person. Also, if you circle the name instead of, like, marking the X, 
or something like that. These are the intent of the voter. There's no way on these electronic machines to actually record intent. In Indiana, closer to you than it is to me, probably halfway, actually. But in Indiana, they take these machines have to take a picture of every ballot as it gets submitted. That's fine. But if there was a calibration error, you're still not going to see if somebody... If something made a mistake, what if they? So what if happens if there's a recount? Re, if if, if they need to recount, then what happens? In in some states, what happens when this gets down? To, what happens when this gets down to two sixty nine, two sixty nine, and there's a recount in ME two? Rob, what do we do? What do we do, Rob? Well, if if, they, if ME two used direct recording electronic devices, <laughs> all you do is read the tapes. There's no way to actually see how each individual person voted, and that's the problem. And it's and it's a bipartisan. You know, there's bipartisan people that have realized that this is a problem. In Virginia, the Republican legislature passed a law that in 2020 they will no longer use direct recording electronic devices. They will go back to paper ballots. And Terry McAuliffe signed it. Katie Couric, who we all yell at because, you know, she puts words into people's mouths and selectively edits, just financed a documentary about this. That's the funny part, Steve, is before Donald Trump calling everything rigged. It was the left I know. saying I know. that Diebold and George Bush's donors were rigging everything I know. with these machines. I know. Which is why we should all vote on paper. If you vote on a paper ballot, and there are machines, you know, I took the SATs when, back in 1990, 1989, Steve, the PSATs in 1988, and there were machines that could read my little number two pencil stuff back then, <laughs> you know? And we're in 2016, and those machines still exist. And you don't have to use a number two pencil. You can use a marker now. And they read it. Everybody should vote on a paper ballot. It's not, it's not a crazy conspiracy theory thing to say, but it's your civil right to have your vote counted the way that you wanted your vote to count. Steve. And I was shocked at, like, the... I mean, you, you, you come on my Facebook page every once in a while. I go on yours, and you can see I've got, you know, leftist friends, and I've got, you know, crazy righty friends and all in between. This was the one that everybody was like, wow, that's good information. <laughs> so I don't know why we don't just get this done. When this is all over, the only thing we're all going to agree on is nobody is you can't trust it, Flavor Flav. That's the only thing we're all going to agree on is Flavor Flav was right. You can't trust it. That's all we're going to agree on. You can check out the story at Conservative Review. It's all rigged. The whole thing is rigged. Rob, thank you for joining us tonight, brother. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Steve. All right, take care. Bye-bye. So what do you think, guys? This this reminds me about talking about Donald Trump in general, this election cycle. There's been something to talk about about him that he is actually on the right side of, or, or the people that are accusing him of something are just so off the reservation themselves. But you're just like, do I even step into that? And here, at the, he's dead on, of course. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why he 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 is making arguments about the system being rigged, we've heard from the left, is because where has he spent all of his adult life until last year? The no, the left. He was. He's been. It's a lot. So this New York. This liberal. is what. This is what he's done to this. Though we can't have these types of conversations without fear of sounding conspiratorial anymore. Yep. There it is.
Seven more days. Seven more days. to Steve Dace. Radio's version of the Red Pill. You take the Red Pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. It's Steve Dace. Well, I gotta tell you, gentlemen, this game six for the Cubs could not be a better scenario. Seven to two into the seventh inning, two runners on, nobody out. I mean, if they can get through this game and not have to use any arms in the bullpen, see that is uh, Chapman, who they pitched into the ground in Game Five when there was no tomorrow. But now you've given him two full days of not having to pitch, and you've got every arm available for Game Seven. Man, I'm throwing Jake. I'm throwing Arietta tonight until his arm falls off. If 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 I'm Joe, if I'm Joe Madden, are you? Yeah, you you don't want to trot any relievers out there, Chapman or otherwise. You don't want him to have I want a little every arm yes. at my disposal for tomorrow night. Right. You don't want anything getting in their head. You trot him out there for a couple pitches. It's not feeling right. No, no. If you you want everybody watching a complete game here. And I think they'll have the mental advantage. You know, I'm no expert at baseball, but uh, they, I think they'll have the mental advantage, advantage tomorrow because that's going to be two straight elimination games in a row that they've won. And so that's, uh, I mean, that's got to bode well for them uh, mentally at least. Well, I believe it is a law of sports that a city is not permitted to overcome, a th- is, not, is not permitted to uh, have 3-1 deficits on both ends in the same sports season in different championship sports. The Indians, Cleveland, remember, overcame a 3-1 deficit in the NBA Finals. First team to ever do that, I recall. Um, And now they may lose a 3-1 lead. So believe land giveth and believe land taketh away. Joe Boo is a fickle god. uh, Indeed, Joe Boo. As we have seen in this election, I have appealed to him many a time to no avail all right, let's get to buy, sell, or hold. This is where our producer Aaron sets out a series of provocative statements on various topics. Todd and I will decide whether we're going to buy it, we're going to sell it, or we're going to hold on to it, and then we'll explain why. Republicans, number one, will arrange impeachment hearings within the next four years, but will intentionally cripple the process to impeach Madam President right before the process gets serious because it wasn't, quote, the will of the people, end quote. So... I just want to make sure your your statement is is essentially saying the Republicans will use this as a political football. Yep. As, but as never, a show to yeah, make as sure a show. to to show their base that they're really with them this time without any substantive follow through. Yep. I'm going to hold. And and I and I'm going to hold because the the, the number one the more I we're into day 2 now. Of them having a meltdown over the Comey thing. And it really hasn't altered her numbers that much. I mean, Trump's numbers are doing better, but I think her numbers really aren't that different. You're seeing this. How about Monmouth, which is the top-rated pollster at 538? Monmouth's head of polling put out a statement today that I thought was very interesting. In that, based on the polling surveys they're doing this last week, they think a lot of, of Trump's gains are in red states. As a lot of people who were 
um, Republican-leaning undecideds or Republican voters who don't like Trump but thought maybe their vote wouldn't be needed. And now that it's the race is getting closer, they feel compelled to vote for him. And where they're seeing this have an impact is in the Senate races down ballot. But they're saying what they're seeing in their swing states polling is things largely are unchanged. So if that's true, then I think one of the reasons why they're having this meltdown, and maybe one of the main reasons, is they are concerned this destabilizes her presidency before it even begins. And I just checked today, the median favorable for Hillary Clinton is 41%. For Trump, it's 34 We've never elected somebody with a 41% approval rating, guys. I mean, that's... that's I, you know, so you're going. You're telling me that you're going to get elected with a 41 percent approval rating, and f- not one, not two, not three, not four, but five FBI investigations. This may be a level of scandal that not even the Republicans can run away from, Todd. So I, I'm going to hold and see what more of the fallout is from this before I buy or sell. I'm going to sell. I'm absolutely confident confident that Paul Ryan can run away from this level <laughs> ding, of scandal. Ding, 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 easy winner, chicken He dinner. who fights and runs away lives to fight and not, or lives to not fight another day, do right? You, do you know how smoking the smoking gun is going to have to be for Paul Ryan to get up the gusto to do this? What if it's, what if she's holding it and has just pushed the trigger? Do you think he wouldn't even enough? do it if she was pointing it as his head. Uh, quickly before the break, <laughs> UN Secretary General Barack Obama. Um, sell. <laughs> what? I, I don't think so. I I remember you're too young to remember this. Remember we were all told that will be they're going to do it with Bill Clinton. He'll be the UN Secretary too when he leaves. We'll never get rid of the guy. I don't think so. I'm going to I'm going to sell. Oh my. I'll Not hold. saying that he wouldn't want to do it. I just don't think they will. I'll hold. I think he would like that a lot more than Supreme Court justice. This is the biggest disagreement I think I've ever had with you, Steve. I'm buying this. You're you're so the buying cows it. Had come home, yes. All right, more buy, sell and hold in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. What a blaze of glory sounds like. The Steve Day Show. All right, more buy, sell, or hold here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Aaron, what's next? The on-demand media network, Trump TV, will eventually fail miserably because the computer or tablet-only content is not easily accessible enough to his aging less t- technologically inclined target demographic. I thought of that one myself, too. I felt pretty smart after that. <laughs> You're clearly very proud of it. Waiting, uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop here. Um, I'll buy that. I'm, I'm going to buy that. Validation. I'm going to buy that. I think that what you've seen with, with Trump's harebrained schemes is... It's a 50-50 pro. It's a 50-50, um, you know, uh, venture that they either it, it, it's going to end spectacularly in a, in a spectacular payday or a spectacular supernova. Um, so I could I could buy in. I mean, listen, if the same people that were responsible for organizing his ground game 
are responsible for putting together the the mobile uh, the mobile part of this uh, future venture, then, Todd, I think the odds of this are pretty good, actually. I'll sell. I don't think the demand side is going to be the problem. I think it's going to be the supply side, like Obamacare. Do we really think that Trump is going to hire all the best rocket scientists to put out the best product out there? It's going to, you know, no. What have we seen about this entire election? No, that's not going to happen. See, what are the odds? I'll throw one out there. Can I throw one out there? Since you brought this up, let me throw one out there. By this time next year, when the 2017 Obamacare enrollment figures and, and, and rate figures come out in, in the fall of 2017, comparisons between the online apparatus that hosts Trump TV as it goes live for the first time and the Obamacare debut of the Obamacare website will be real and they will be spectacular. Bye. You're buying, Aaron? Yes. I planted the seed. I'm clearly buying. You're buying for, that? You uh, know what I'm saying? entertainment value Trump alone. Paid, Trump paid $10 million for a website that doesn't even work? That's what I'm saying. Think that's possible? The website's going to be a picture of a hat that says, Make America Great Again. Uh, Ray, the main protagonist of the latest Star Wars uh, movie, is in no relation to any Skywalker. sell as much as i want to think there's something hidden there if you've watched the movie a few times and i have if you've listened to the director's commentary and i have the only other possible relation would be a kenobi but i mean where she grabs luke's lightsaber for the first time there are so many references to him and his life there's a, and we hear now we do hear Kenobi's voice a couple of times, but but why would Kenobi's voice be tied to her touching Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that. I think in the end she's gonna be a Skywalker. Yeah, I'm gonna sell too because there's been no degree of original thinking in this enterprise thus far. Would oh, you Would you goodness. view her being? Oh, they do have Chapman up and throwing in the bullpen. Why Why wouldn't you save him for tomorrow night? Just getting a little work in. Just a little work. Just right. a toss. Um, so would you, would, you, would you view Ray being a Kenobi? Would you view that as original thinking? What's No. What's the time? Yeah, I, the, the, the Kenobi thing. Like, I see that, but the what do you, timeline. What, what, what do you want her? What, 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 would, what would be original thinking to you for her forced time? I just want it to be good. That's it. It's not that much to ask. Now, Ray is the best part of that movie. I mean, I from beginning to end, I and I I don't even I like the fact that she like reverse engineers the force. That's cool to me. Her force is so powerful that it touches her and she becomes a master by default. It seems. See, That's, I like I like Ray and Finn a lot. I like them both a lot. Uh, Finn is I don't know what are they doing there. Uh, what I what I struggled with was Kylo Ren the minute he took off the mask. I mean, up until the point where he, well, and and actually when he puts it back on, I like him. But to me, Kylo, you know, did you ever see The Man with Two Brains with Steve Martin when you were a kid? Did you ever see that movie? No. Soul back in bold. Soul back in bold. Soul in bold. I mean, okay, but that, that, that's sort of what I feel like with Kylo Ren. I don't know what you're saying, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of I what I feel like. kind of rolled with it. <laughs> that's sort of what I feel like. Okay, mask, mask off. Mask, mask off. Mask, mask off. I like, when mask is on, good. Mask off, lame. I don't like mask off it, Kylo Ren at all. Not it, into that. It never, 
It never Keep should. Keep the mask on. Keep it on. Wear your mask. Own it. Well, it never should have come off. And I don't like the way Han Solo died. I have no problem with him dying, but I thought it was weak how he went out. But if you don't take that mask off until that moment, he took it off a half hour that's, earlier in front of Ray. That's a great point. That would have been very compelling. This is J.J. Abrams. After watching Lost, that's what I was. I, there's no way I anticipated that Star Wars movie after watching how many seasons of Lost? There was like six. And six how brilliant seasons. and cryptic and all that. And th- ugh. Lost was great. I just finished that a few weeks ago. Um, next Best one. Best television series of my life. See, I watched it in high school, and I, I wouldn't have said that back then, but I didn't. A lot of these references and a lot of the themes on which the series was built off of just kind of went over it went over my head back then, but I would, I would probably agree with that assessment at this point. Uh, got a couple more here. 2017 World Series champions, Chicago Cups. Um... I, I, I can buy that. I mean, a good I, farm system. I, they have a good farm system. The nucleus is young. Um, and because of that, there is money there to go get, say, and I'm just throwing a name out there, the Tigers have let it be known. They would like to trim a little bit of payroll while, re, while remaining competitive. They did an excellent job when they traded Cespedes and a couple of guys last year and getting the young pitchers that pitched so well for them this year. Verlander going into his, he's 34 years old. This was one of the best seasons he had. He's fully back healthy. I could see the Cubs saying, hey, we'll take on that contract. If, if, like if they don't win here, saying, hey, maybe we're one starting pitcher away. I take on a Justin Verlander and I give up a, you know, a young player or two to the Tigers that would be an everyday player. I could see them making that kind of a move um, to either stay relevant, championship relevant, or get there if they don't finish the, uh, the process this year. I have to hold for a day because the odds go up drastically if they don't win Agreed. this World Series. Agreed, uh, because of the motivational factor. I agree. Quickly, last one. Uh, 2030 NFL Hall of Fame inductee, Matthew Stafford. Hold. He's going to have numbers like a Dan Fouts, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. But the but playoff wins matter more in evaluating quarterbacks now than they did back then. So he'll have the stats, but he's got to get some more playoff wins. And Todd. those stats don't mean as much anymore because more people have them. Agreed. to Steve Dace. No wasted ammo. This is Steve Dace. All right, I think we got time for one more, Aaron, if you've got a good one. Got a sports one. Okay. With the fill-in-the-blank pick in the 2020 NFL draft, the London Jaguars select. <laughs> the London Jaguars. For folks who don't know, they've actually talked, uh, there's been talk of them being willing to make that move as a franchise. So. I would have thought that would have happened by now. Because I know their owner, Khan, what's-his-face, I know he wants to, but um, I, I would have thought that would have happened. So you're asking me the 2020 NFL draft? Yeah, 2020 NFL draft. So not the this, real. So in a couple of years. Yeah, in a few years down the road. Okay, so we're heading up to 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. 2019. So we're talking somebody that would be a freshman now, right? No, I just want uh, the London Jaguars. Is that actually going to happen? Oh, is that going to happen? Mm-hmm. By 2020. No, I don't think so. I think, actually, what we're going to see, the NFL has to respond to the ratings, what's happening to the ratings. And it's clear that they're not going to say, we've allowed our game to be politicized. They're not going to want to admit that. 
right? For the same reasons the liberal media doesn't want to admit that we've we've just written off large segments of um, the populace. I mean, ESPN's not going to say that we lost 610,000 subscribers for November because we became the uh, Colin Kaepernick is America Black Panther channel. They're not going to do that. So they'll have to come up with another rationale. Because you also you, you can't ignore the numbers on one hand, Todd, but you also can't admit what might be the real cause of them on the other. So I think what the, what the, what the argument will be is the game has been diluted. It's, been, it's, it's, it's gluttoned. It's spread too thin. We don't need Thursday night NFL, except like on Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we don't need, you know, London games. And um, the, the, uh, we can't have one guy administering every, you know, judge, jury, and executioner on discipline because he's too erratic. And so I think they will deal with essentially everything other than the, that Goodell's allowed the game to become politicized. And I think you'll see the game actually scaled back. So I don't, that, I don't know if that means that the Jaguars will survive in Jacksonville, but I think you're more inclined to see a move to a place like San Antonio than, than go abroad. Yeah, and people are tired of hearing about concussions all the time. People are tired of hearing they don't know what a catch is. People are exhausted mm-hmm. about what has become of sports talks, sports radio, uh, where you're barely actually... You, it, the actual football is secondary to whatever stupid soap opera is being drummed up by the betas. Right. The when media. I say they've allowed the game to be politicized, yeah. I don't just mean ideologically. But this is politicization. This yes. is the politicization yes. of the game. What is each, the catch? What yeah. referee crews each do referee, this? Yes. Yeah. That's the, the, the politics, the drama. The game has become politicized. Deflategate got politicized. So I don't just mean in terms of what partisan agenda is being you know, thrown no, out I there don't. as a cause celeb, but it, it is a political exercise is the NFL now. And that's, that's not good for the game. Hour three is next. We're going to talk revival next. You're listening to Steve Dace. to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with hour number three of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Coming up, we're going to be talking about something we desperately have to have. It's not even a need, it's a have. It's a have to have. And that is revival. If we don't have this as a people... We may cease being the people we were founded to be. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It's that time of the night when Aaron gets 
control of the microphone. He gets to set the agenda. He gets to ask the questions around here. He can ask us any three things about any three things. Nothing is off limits, but he has to answer the same questions that he corners us with, Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Uh, as always, if you want to submit a uh, question to our three questions segment, you can do that. Aaron at SteveDace.com. Our first question comes from Kirk Mahoney, who says, Steve recently said that a good way to get people to vote conservatively is to have people focus on the supply side instead of the demand side. Steve's example was eliminating payroll withholding so that employees must write their own checks regularly to the federal government to cover income tax, Social Security, and Medicare. What's another supply-side example that could get people to vote conservatively? Um, an itemization statement so that people would see where the – just as a prospectus, if you will. You know, for example – you know, when we launched this show, I was involved in some efforts to convince people to invest in our show, support our show, things of that nature, before we could stand on our own two feet. Part of that was, here's, here's you know, uh, here's what we're going to be talking about. Here is where your investment would go and, to, and what message we would promote. See what I'm saying? Okay. So each month... A taxpayer, every taxpayer, before they write that check, or quarterly, whatever we decide to do since we're ending withholding. So if you're writing that check monthly, quarterly, annually, you receive a prospectus in the mail with breakouts. This is where your money will be spent. Who it will be spent on. Down to the last penny. And let people see, let people see how much of their money goes to Planned Parenthood, for example. Uh, let, let people see how much of their money goes to a, a frivolous cause, how much of it doesn't, how much of it maybe we'll find out that a lot of their money's being well invested and they're okay with it. But um, again, changing this dynamic that assumes, Todd, government is entitled to some confiscatory take off the top and then doesn't really have to account for it afterwards, um, but instead make them come to us and make the case for an investment like you would in any other transaction within the private sector. Were this that cut and dry, I would say bravo. I think we just created a new bureaucracy. And can you imagine the new verbiage that would come out to run as cover for Planned Parenthood and other things? It would be grotesque. But... Bravo, nonetheless, because I I would love to see it with my own. I would more more importantly, I would like everyone else to see it, to ruminate through it. Because I know I'm surprised. I don't get to bank statements. I don't get too caught up in that stuff. A lot of people do left and right. They really get into the details. F. So maybe that would be the first cold look in the eye if it was honest, which it wouldn't be. Yeah, I think uh, I th- think if I were ending uh, paycheck withholding, I would do the um, what is it, the flat or fair tax? That's just one tax rate for up and down the tax. fair, fair. Or the flat tax. I'm sorry, it's flat. a flat tax. Okay, yep. the flat tax. I would I would actually do that, and I would just say, hey, um, here you go. Uh, that's ten percent. It's uh, flat across the spectrum. Uh, if you can't do your job within these uh, the confines of taxing everybody ten percent, then you got to find places to cut. That's what I would do. I I probably wouldn't send out a prospectus but i think maybe at the local level that would be uh local or state level the prospectus would be um would be a, a really good idea but i think especially at the local level because there are so many so many towns and townships and communities that uh just have ridiculous tax rates even 
even in rural places because they're building something new and uh, things like that. So that's what I would do. Question two, Jared wrote in and wants to know if uh, you knew today was your last day on earth, would you fast or feast? I would feast. Uh, I would feast. I would, uh, um, I would celebrate uh, because uh, my salvation is nigh. I'd gather um, as many of my loved ones or as many uh, people as uh, I care about as I possibly can and um, use the occasion of uh, the cause celeb to one more time remind everybody we're all going to be dead longer than we were ever alive. Uh, make sure we have redeemed the time that God has given us. Make sure we have not rejected his most precious gift, which is the forgiveness for our sins. And because I chose to do those things, my last day, I'm enjoying it. I got nothing to worry about. I don't need to hang my head. I don't need to fast. I don't need to. I don't, I don't need sackcloth and ashes. I'm um, I'm I'm awakening to what Luther referred to as uh, the second baptism, uh, death. You know, I'm gonna. And tomorrow I get to hear the words I have longed to hear. Um, since the moment I'm, I made this choice, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And I want all of you that I care about that are here, I want you to have this same peace on your last day that I have now. And that's why I've gathered you here, not to just um, get uh, fat and happy on my dime, but uh, as a reminder of what it is that is motivating me to have this peace and to have this contentment and to have this joy in the first place. I can't disagree with the word of that. But I think I would say, in your stri- when you say fast or feast, you are strictly talking about eating. You're not being more metaphorical than that, are you? Um, I, I'll let you decide that because okay. I was. Yeah, we need to be it. careful because was, you know, some of the, the Bible uses feast at times as a euphemism as a, yes, for like pagan orgies con- yep. and uh, and concubine gatherings. So when I hear you say feast, I'm applying this in the context of the Western Judeo-Christian understanding, a like a Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I meant. I didn't, yes. I, didn't, I, I didn't even cross my mind that it could be orgy, but yeah, that's... So you can use it as a metaphorical I thing th- if you want. I think I would fast, but it, not necess- almost by default. I, I don't think it would be in any sort of penance like as, as done on uh, Lent or at uh, other times. I, I just think the level of quality distraction I, I hope that I would be engaged in and all other manner of things would be the kind of thing like where you're on cruise control you're not even thinking about uh, that aspect of of feasting so uh, I'm just looking at a different angle of this but I, I agree with everything you said ultimately in terms of where your bottom line is in terms of salvation on that day uh, Jared, who wrote this, said he would fast knowing one, he's preparing to see Jesus and two, because there's tons of food in heaven um, I, I would I would also say I would feast, although I'm not sure if I'd literally be able to eat a whole lot of food because I'd be so excited. But it is a celebration. If you knew you were going um, somewhere that was uh, paradise, which is what heaven is, I'd be really excited. And I really I don't see a reason to fast. My and, and I should throw in and I hope this doesn't make me sound like a heretic. It is theologically debatable whether bacon will be there or not. Oh, just as long as Lou Malnati's um, sausage crust pizza is in heaven, I sign me Steve, up. Steve, we're one week out from this election. People's nerves are raw, and now you're throwing that <laughs> on our plate. Come on, brother. So, I mean, I mean, 
okay. I mean, yes, as a New Testament believer, like, you know, the Old, the old Testament dietary laws no longer apply, but we are still talking about, um, our, you know, we go to church on Sundays and we worship a Jewish guy, all right? You know, we have ham at Christmas. He didn't ever touch the stuff, okay? So does this mean, like, it will be representative of, of the traditional viewpoint when we get up there? On the off chance, the answer is yes. Bacon out. I've got to go out. One, what, one what, last bacon palooza. What's the count on how many angels are dancing on the head of this pin right now? <laughs> <laughs> I love splitting. Uh, I love splitting hairs. Todd, what are you talking about? Um, let's see. Andy Hunt asks, uh, what are the top five colleges that are most intimidating for the visiting team? College stadiums don't have time for five, so you're Number one, LSU on a Saturday night. That's the number one home field advantage all time in Las Vegas. Uh, number two, because how good the team is right now, I'd say Alabama. Uh, number three, Horseshoe in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Number four, I would say the 12th man at Texas A&M. And then I think there's a lot of teams. When Wisconsin's good, I could put Camp Randall up there. Death Valley. I, Death Valley, when Clemson's really good. I think there's 20 teams you could put at number five. You okay with that list? I am. I second. Wisconsin's on. There you go. We're done. You're listening to Steve Dace. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? We talk about something else. Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And this is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back and take a look at some of the headlines we didn't have time to get to earlier in the show. These are the headlines that are the buzz on your social media at the Water Cooler at Work, as reported to us by our producer Aaron. We've got the hot takes in response. Thank you, Steve. As enrollment begins today, the impact of an average 22% rise in benchmark plans will vary wildly depending on where you live. While Obamacare plans on some state exchanges will have modest price increases, others will have staggering heights. The premium for benchmark plans is more than doubling in Arizona to an average of $422 a month for a 27-year-old enrollee. In Oklahoma, it's increasing 69% to $424. And many consumers are also going to discover that they have fewer choices since some major insurance companies and several smaller ones have scaled back from the Affordable Care Act marketplaces. The major broadcast networks, however, have almost completely ignored the issues for months, according to a new Newsbusters.com study that says, quote, in all of 2016, the evening news broadcasts of ABC, CBS, and NBC have only devoted 10 minutes and 21 seconds combined to Obamacare failures until Bill Clinton called the Affordable Care Act this crazy system on October 3rd. ABC, NBC, and and, uh, NBC hadn't covered any Obamacare news in 2016 at all, end quote. (laughs) What were those states again? Give me those states again. Uh, The ones cited in this story, Arizona, 
uh, up or more than double to an average of $422 a month. That's a state where Hillary Clinton is more competitive at this stage of the race than Barack Obama was four years ago. Continue. And then Oklahoma, where it's going to get annihilated there. 69% yeah. to $424. Uh, this is an average for a 27-year-old enrollee. I think I saw a graphic of us. I think I might have even tweeted this out earlier today, Todd, of, us, of the cities where the Obamacare premiums are skyrocketing the most. Yet, where are most of the people that live in those urban environments? Where, how are they going to go vote on November the 8th? The Magic D. Uh, they will vote for the Magic D in many cases. So... I don't know what to tell people when they're not even willing. If you can't get people to vote based on their principles anymore, when you can't even get people to vote on the basis of their own self-interest, I don't, I don't know what the solution to that is, brother. Maybe you've got one. No. We are living in... That, that's why we're going to talk about revival here in about 15 minutes, because I'm out of solutions. When people vote against their own self-interest, I'm out of solutions. All that's left is revival. We're living in perfectly Orwellian times. I mean, forget our our principles for a second, what we think of government or not. Just the, the fact that this has been put into play, allowed a chance to work within the, la- within the last 100 years, if not all American history. Is there a major piece of legislation that has been a bigger failure when allowed a chance to do what it says it was going to do than Obamacare? I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm not trying to say big government is bad. I'm just saying this thing on its face, has it not been brutal? I mean, yes, Steve, you're of course right. It's all part of the plan. That being said, this thing has been entirely broken. Yet you say things are going on like they are in Arizona. This has to do not only with Donald Trump, but with an entire Republican Party that simply cannot walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. How many years has Obamacare been the law? Uh, since 2009, Multiple court cases. What exactly is the sense of the American people right now about Republicans' plan to replace when we keep throwing out that stupid bumper sticker? We still don't have a clue. I know there have been some... Uh, Positions been put out there, I, but what do the yeah, American but, people? Todd, know? Todd, we just need control of the, the you know, the House of Representatives. Oh, yeah, we already got. We just we, need we, control of Congress. Oh, wait a minute, yeah, we just need control of the executive. Oh, yeah, we we just need good judges, Steve. Well, I'm old enough to remember when we had the president, we had both houses of Congress, and seven of the nine justices appointed on the U.S. Supreme Court were appointed by Republicans. It was called six out of the eight years George W. Bush was president of the United States. What did we what did we do? Well, we actually passed what at the time was the biggest welfare program ever, Medicare Part D, to help grease the skids for this. What did we roll back? Nothing. Uh, what substantive gains did we accomplish on moral and social policy for conservatism? None. That's what we did. Next story, a New York University professor who tweeted against political correctness and quote-unquote safe space campus culture has been placed on paid leave for the rest of the semester. uh, Michael Rechtenwald, a clinical assistant professor of liberal studies, told the New York Post, quote, they're actually pushing me out the door for having a different perspective. Mr. Rechtenwald said he uh, created the undercover Twitter account, Deplorable NYU Prof, in September, so that he could blast political correctness and trigger warnings without fear of reprisal from, quote, social justice warriors, end quote. 
He finally revealed himself as the man behind the Twitter account in an interview this month with uh, Washington Square News, NYU's daily student newspaper. He said, quote, my contention is that the trigger warning, safe spaces, uh, safe spaces and bias hotline reporting is not politically correct. It's insane. This stuff is producing a culture of hypervigilance, self-surveillance, and panopticism. End quote. Now, Mr. Rechtenwald was just featured in a column I wrote last week for Conservative Review, and one of the ironies here, Todd, is he actually considers himself an advocate of political correctness. He just kind of thinks this thing's gone off the deep end. He'd like some restoration of balance and decorum. There will be none. Balance, decorum, there is none. I mean, the, 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 the swarm of locusts will have their way. They will not be satiated, Todd, until all has been devoured. Well, this guy immediately is on my list of considerations for a write-in candidate for president of the United States. Uh, he, hopefully he's learned his lesson and is willing to preach it far and wide. I mean, here's what this guy needs. Uh, will, will he cave? Will he just go back and be a good little boy? Or will he be remade? Will he? Will this be a new baptism of freedom? And will he say, no, I, you know what? Not only was I done here, this, but this wasn't just a little month-long temper tantrum. I need to be part of the new vanguard. I need to save this country. I was a part of killing it, quite frankly. My, what are the chances of that? Yeah. I felt pretty good after that little oratory, Steve. <laughs> Thanks for that. I mean, how does this how does this culture? Just, I like your version of the story. Let's just stick with it, even if it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, how does how does one put an end to this uh, sort of um, you know to this the victim culture, this uh, grievance culture? How does one actually go about doing that? Uh, because at the end of the day, I'm an absolute responsibility type of guy, and yes, I know parents have a huge role in raising these snowflakes, but at the same time, it's these snowflakes' responsibility for how they act the way they do. Without some sort of groundswell of change of belief, how the heck let's are not, you going to put an end Let's to not this? get them let away with that label. The snowflakes, they're bullies, Steve. What do you do with no, bullies? True. Punch them in the nose, usually. There you go. Yeah. Good point. Listening to Steve Dace. Most of what we say is illegal in Europe. Get the truth while you still can. Steve Dace. Well, you've heard us talk about revival on this show many times and how we are, as a, as a people now, we are debating things. We've always had existential debates in our culture over civil rights, uh, over slavery. There's, there's, there's always been a great moral debate of the age. But what has gotten us through as a people in the past is the foundations of our country were strong enough that they, uh, they gave us the chance to correct ourselves and our mistakes, to self-correct, because we understood the responsibilities and obligations of freedom, because before we had freedom in this country, we had awakenings. And, and those prepared the hearts of the people to be free, to self-correct, to look at their own 
weaknesses and their own mistakes and over time correct them. But there's a reason why the Bible says, what can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? We are eroding those foundations in our day and age. And we are now debating the inner sanctum of Americanism. Uh, We are debating the very things that allowed us to be exceptional in the first place. And that's why you've heard me say that unless we see the sort of awakenings that gave birth to liberty in this country in in the previous centuries, we are going to live to see it gone. Because we can't sustain it. We can't hold on to it. You, you won't have a moral and ethical enough people that are capable of, of continuing it. Dr. Tom Phillips is the executive director of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And he has written a book about revival. And it's called Jesus Now. And he joins us now here on the Steve Day Show. And Tom, it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? Hey, Steve. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your program. So Tom, let me let me start with sort of just how I set the scene and and see and obviously uh, Jesus loves every there is, it's the Abraham Kuyper line there is no square inch of this earth over which Christ does not say that's mine so it is not like we have some unique um, you know um, reservation in Christendom or in the kingdom of God because we are Americans but we are Americans so I'm applying a universal principle to just our particular corner of God's green earth here. Do you think I'm applying it properly or not? I did. I did as I listened to you. Thank you. How does that relate to what your book is about then? Right. Well, the Bible does say that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he's chosen for his own inheritance. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And on the cover of the book, it's uh, it's Jesus now, and coming through the dark ink on the bottom is the word awakening. So what we've done is taken the seven indicators of Charles Finney, the great revivalist of the 1800s, in his latter years when he was president of Oberlin College, he listed seven ways to know when God's going to move. We began to see those operatives through our work with Mr. Graham and Franklin Graham and the Crusades back in the early 90s, and we've been chronicling and following with real-life stories, pockets of light, small and large, to show what God is up to, and that's why the circle on the front of the book says God is up to something big. So we're really chronicling and unpacking the truth that Jesus is the answer. Mr. Graham always preached this. Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we've certainly found that to be true as we've looked at our society, and as you said, the moral foundation. Our second president, John Adams, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And that's why Franklin Graham, this past year, from January 16 to now, went to every state capitol and challenged Americans to pray, to vote, and biblically, and to engage in their culture for the Lord. So right now, God is piling up the prayers in the bowls of heaven to pour out his Holy Spirit on this planet through holy vessels, kids that he can trust. You mentioned there are 10 principles to discern if revival is around the corner or if it's about to happen. I don't want you to give the whole book away, Tom, but can you share a few of those with us? (laughs) Sure, sure. Actually, there's seven. Seven, I apologize. Uh, number one is, is when the sovereignty of God indicates that revival is near. Obviously, that means when it's so bad, the only hope is the Lord. We look at Washington, D.C., and we love our government. We love our country. We love the states, men and women who are in the Democrat, Republican, Independent Party, those who really live for our nation. 
But it's so bad right now, the only hope is above Washington, D.C. That's God Almighty through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, when people begin to realize that the only hope we have is Him, that's number one. Number two is when wickedness grieves and humbles us. Now, we pray about wickedness, and we have plenty of it in our country as well as the rest of the world. Then when we're praying, one day God holds our faith, Tom Phillips's face in front of Jesus's, and we see our own wickedness, and there's a brokenness that, come in, that comes into our heart and life. Hang on, Tom. I'm up against the break, hard break. We'll come back more with Dr. Tom Phillips from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. You can agree with him or you can be wrong. It's a free country. Steve Dace. Dr. Tom Phillips, he is the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, about his new book on revival called Jesus Now. And Tom, you're giving us the, the seven signs leading up to revival. I think we were on number three. Number three is when there's a spirit of prayer for revival. We've never been in prayer like we are today globally in the history of the church. The power of prayer is being unleashed. A.T. Pearson, the great theologian, once said, There has never been a movement of the Spirit of God that did not begin in united, concerted, persistent, consistent prayer. Matthew Henry wrote and said, When God intends great mercy for His people, and that's where revival starts with His people, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people call by my name. When God intends great mercy for His people, He, God, First of all, sets them a praying, and we are in the greatest prayer movement in the history of the world. Number four, when the attention of ministers is directed toward revival, three or four books 20 years ago, now, you know, probably scores, maybe hundreds, preachers preaching on revival. What is awakening? What is revival? Number five, when Christians confess their sins one to another, vulnerable, open, Holy Spirit falls, conviction occurs, everyone confesses to whatever degree that sin hits them. That's occurring. Number six, when Christians are willing to make the sacrifices necessary for God to carry out the new movement of His Spirit. And we're not quite there yet. We're still pretty self-centered, maybe selfish. But there are so many people are saying, God, whatever it takes. Like Billy Graham said in his early days, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And look what God did with Billy Graham and Franklin and his family, Mrs. Graham. Number seven, when ministers and laity, remember this is Charles Finney's comments after he saw so many revivals over his entire lifetime, the principles. When the ministers and laity are willing for God to promote spiritual awakening by whatever instrument he pleases, so there's a, there's a dying to self and a faith in God and a trust in Him that says, Lord, this is so far beyond us, the only answer is your love. And we believe, we believe that we're in those early stages of a real revival within the Church of love, forgiveness, and acceptance within the framework of biblical principles. 
Tom, I, I do a conservative talk show, but I, I certainly don't hide my faith. It's what drives the opinions I give and the stances I take. Um, and, and since I work in the political system full time, when I'm not on the air, I'm an activist. I am well aware of, of the hopeless despair relying on politics as a savior uh, ultimately leads to. Uh, right. And that's why I'm, I've, I've got you on the show tonight. And that's why we talk about revival so much here on our program. You talk about the humbling aspect of it. You know, we are staring down the barrel in a week of an election, regardless of what people think of the candidates. Here are facts. We have on one side the two people most likely to, for God to allow to be the next president. One is facing up to five FBI investigations right now. Um, the other is has his former campaign manager facing an FBI investigation, and he has trials scheduled for different fraud cases and a child rape case after this election is over. Are these examples, do you think, is it possible that provid- providentially we are... That we are being told, hey, um, stop looking around you for your salvation, but look up instead. You guys are, I mean, listen, yeah, you're in a free country. Take part in the process. Self-govern. Be discerning. Occupy until I return. But but don't turn this into some idol. This is not an. Uh, this is this is not the means to sustain or redeem yourselves. I am. And is it possible that maybe we are seeing the the caliber of candidates? get progressively worse in many people's minds with each ensuing election because we require some humbling. We have too much faith in our own traditions and civic systems as opposed to the God that allowed and permitted them in the first place. Totally. Um, we've got a, we've got several passages in God's Word that tells us the truth. We all know Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people were called by my name, humble themselves, and that's something that's a choice, humble themselves and pray. And we are praying, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then God says, I will hear you, forgive you, heal the land. So what God is saying, if you seek healing of the land in Washington, D.C., if that's your utter focus, then you won't be healed. And all the way into Psalm 24, when God is saying, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they who dwell therein. And God says, I will bless those people who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted their soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, those people shall receive the blessing from God and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. The next verse says, this is the generation that seek your face. So God says, and, and this is spiritual, I mean, this is creator God. We think we're somebody, but God made this planet. He is real. And he says, if you want your land healed, seek my face. You can't seek your face, his face unless you're humble. You can't seek your face, his face except initially through prayer. You've got to repent of man's ways, woman's ways, and seek him. And God says, look, I will heal the land. Even Franklin Roosevelt understood that when he said, I doubt if there's any problem, social, moral, or political, that would not melt away before the fire of a spiritual awakening. So this is where we are. We have a destiny. John Adams, our second president, said the destiny of America is to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to all men everywhere. Nigerian leaders, Chinese leaders, Korean leaders, speak to us in the Bill Graham Evangelistic Association and say, you're the flame. You must be the flame spiritually for the world. Don't lose the spark. And we are beginning to lose it, and God is saying, hey, you need to be awakened. 
That's why you want to get this book from Dr. Tom Phillips. He is the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, executive director of the Billy Graham Library. It is called Jesus Now. And, Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on the show tonight. God bless you, brother. Thank you. God bless you, Steve. Thank you much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listening to Steve Dace. Ever exceeding your low expectations, the Steve Day Show. All right, so we've come to the end of tonight's show i want to instead of asking you guys what you learned i want to paint an analogy for you and tell me if you think it is accurate this election has become like the end of an ncaa tournament basketball game one it won't end we just go back and forth fouls commercials the last two minutes take seemingly take almost as much time as the rest of the game does right when you watch an ncaa tournament game and so we are watching an ncaa tournament game between a between one team that had a pretty sizable lead. But it wasn't a large enough lead that the other team didn't have an incentive to foul them at the end to try and extend the game. And so they fouled them the first few times, and the and the team that was ahead couldn't make their foul shots. This is Texas A&M versus Northern Iowa. And, and, and so the other team has just decided, we'll just keep fouling you then, I guess. Okay? And, the other, and, and so the other team, they're, they're, they're not hitting like a bunch of threes. They're getting a couple of baskets. They're getting a three-pointer here or there, but they're throwing up bricks. But they keep fouling the other team who still can't make their free throws. So there's still a pretty comfortable margin of victory here towards the end of the stretch. But the, but one team can't take advantage of the other team's inability to hit foul shots. And the other team can't hit the foul shots that closed out the game with the other team's inability to score the baskets that would actually change the outcome of the game. Am I into something here, do you think, or not? Uh, I, th- I think you would be, but uh, I think this analogy falls flat because at the end of this basketball game, uh, I don't know what the equivalent, the election equivalent of one shining moment is, but it's not that song. So, I mean, well, ain't that otherwise, otherwise, it's great. No, seriously. One that, pitch black moment. <laughs> yes. that'll, be the, that'll be the song we play, no matter who wins. Uh, turn out the lights. Good night, Ivory, and something like that. What do you think, Todd? Well, and... Like Aaron said, that song, there's there's a whole ethos that even in a game like that, you you will milk the emotion out of it because of the standard has been set. It, it, the stand of America that has been set all these many years, it, it it doesn't seem to be enough. And it's been around a lot longer than the NCAA tournament. But to carry this thing, and it, it hasn't been able to redeem it. It, it, it is gone the opposite way. I mean, it, 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 these both these candidates have begun many opportunities through different means of re- second chances, third chances, fourth chances, not happening. Which leads me to believe, instead of that that arena staying full, even in a bad game and cheering their heads off, what is the turnout of this election? Do people stay home just like you said and say, you know what, or do they vote third party? Or do they write in? What, it, 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 there's, I mean, there's no way they're switching back and forth from one to the other. But will they stay home and call BS on this thing? 
Either way, it is over in a week. And it can't come soon enough, if you ask me. John 3.17 